how one story and one situation and interaction can change your life forever. The importance of making others feel seen. The unique thing that he does when he interviews people for his company. How to become a great situational leader. Two of the most important things to do in order to build trust within a team and the three questions that he asks himself every single day and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 463 with founder and CEO of Populous Group, motivational speaker and best-selling author, Bobby Herrera. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast. With me, your host, Nick Carrier. At Best You, we exist to help individuals who are hungry for growth get closer to the best version of themselves so that they can live meaningful and impactful lives. Now, if you're serious about wanting to change up your exercise and your eating habits so that you can change the way that you look at yourself and the way that you feel about yourself, then go to nickcarrier.com slash free call. And you can request a one-on-one free strategy call with me. And we're going to hop on. We'll talk about what your dreams are, what your goals are, and what's currently holding you back. And then we're going to start to develop a plan for you so how you can completely change your life in the direction that you want. And if it's the right fit, then maybe we even work together. But if you're interested, then go to nickcarrier.com slash free call. But today, you guys, I am super pumped to bring on Bobby Herrera. I had the good fortune of meeting Bobby out in Salt Lake City just a few months ago, and my life has been changed ever since because of his bus story. Bobby is the co-founder and the CEO of Populous Group. With annual revenue of $500 million and many Fortune 100 customers, it is one of the fastest growing HR services company in the United States. Bobby himself grew up on the outskirts of a small town in New Mexico, and he's one of 13 children in a migrant family, and because of that, he learned the value of hard work, rising early, and putting in long hours in the fields. After high school, boot camp became his ticket of opportunity. He serves on national community organization boards and is a regular speaker at corporations and service groups, and he's a proud Army veteran. Bobby is also most proud of his family. His wife, Rosalind, and their three children, Santino, Griffith, and Sophia live out in Portland, Oregon. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Bobby Herrera. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. Today, I'm super fired up both for myself and I'm fired up for you guys because we have an absolute legend joining the Best You Podcast today, the one and only Bobby Herrera. Bobby, just want to start off saying thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, hell of the underdogs, Nick. I, I don't think I've ever been called that, but I'll take it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, you know, it, I didn't think about it beforehand, but that's how, that's how I view you. Um, but I had the good fortune of being introduced to Bobby out in Salt Lake City when I went to Scott Miller's book launch party and I had the courage to go up and talk to him after he told his story in, in front of everybody, and everybody was just floored and super inspired by the story, and you're getting ready to hear it in a second. Um, and then we'll kind of go into a little bit of Bobby's professional background and some leadership, and, and we'll be able to great, learn some some great things from Bobby today. So you guys make sure that you buckle up and get ready uh, to take some notes. But the, basically, the way I want to start, Bobby, is to kind of intro you into the bus story. And so I'm going to read the very first paragraph of your book, uh, which I absolutely love. And so it's called The Gift of Struggle, Life-Changing Lessons About Leading. So all of you guys out there, you guys know I I read a lot. And The Gift of Struggle is, I have actually never read a book faster, I don't think. I read it 
on the flight back from Salt Lake City in one sitting. And I don't know if I've ever done that with a book before. So hats off to you and kudos to you for, for writing an absolute gem. But here it is. When I was 17, my brother Ed and I played on the same high school basketball team. Returning from an away game one night on the team bus, we all talked excitedly, reliving the highlights of the game we had just won. Along the way, the bus stopped at a restaurant so the team could unload and eat dinner. Everyone filed out except for Ed and me. And I'll leave it, from, leave it off to you from there. Yeah, you know, Nick, at that point in our life, uh, we didn't have the means to play sports and afford dinner. You know, I'm one of 11 kids and uh, number 11 of 13, and Ed and I were very accustomed to staying back on the bus. Well, a few moments after the team unloaded, this gentleman comes on board the bus. He was one of the dads of the other players. And as he's walking back, you know, he razzed me a little bit because Ed had outscored me that night. And then he said something to me that I will always remember. Bobby, it would make me very happy if you would allow me to buy you boys dinner so that you can join the rest of the team. Nobody else has to know. All you have to do to thank me is do the same thing for another great kid in the future, just like you. And I had this wave of gratitude come over me at that moment, Nick, that's still hard for me to explain. And I remember stepping off the bus that night to join the team. And I'm 17. I can't see three feet in front of my face. And I have no idea what I was going to do with my life. You know, I had a desire that uh, I wanted to join the Army, which I did a year later. But outside of that, I was clueless. All I knew is that I wanted my future to be different than my past because struggle had been the only consistent theme in my family's story. But even though I had no idea what I was going to do, after that moment on the bus, I knew why. I would somehow, some way, figure out a way to create something that would allow me to pay forward that kind of act to other kids like me who were born on the wrong side of the opportunity divide. And I, I felt nine foot tall that evening, like nothing could stop me. And, you know, it just had a profound impact on me. And I mean, just changed how I viewed my, my, my story up to that point, Nick. And, you know, it, uh, it gave me a much needed sense of hope and, a sense of meaning that one day I could also do what I call check the ultimate box, meaning will my story matter um, if I paid that gift forward? Yeah, I think that last part, like you said, all of us kind of have the same desire as will our story matter, will our life matter? And I kind of want you to continue a little bit kind of towards the end of the same story, if you will, in the sense that, you know, when you were 17, you grew up, very much not having the money to pay for both sports and to go out to dinner with the team. But then this guy who came in and, and paid for you guys dinner definitely was somebody who could afford that and was pretty well off. And then, you know, years later, you ended up meeting back up with this guy. And I'm pretty sure going to dinner with him as well, kind of continue and, and bring it home with that part of the story as well. Yeah, there's, you know, there's an interesting backstory to that. You know, people have often asked me, hey, Bobby, why'd that moment have such a profound impact on you? And, you know, I tell them all, I'm one kind act away from not telling you a story. Um, however, you know, my family's struggle aside and the extreme modesty that we've been exposed to, you know, I grew up in a migrant farm working family. And, you know, to say that we were economically humble would be a massive understatement. 
But that aside, uh, there was something about this man that I think is important for everybody else to know. You know, he was a very successful businessman in the community. But the narrative that I told was that people like him, they don't see kids like me. And with one kind act, not only did he teach me that I was wrong, but he taught me that one of the single most important parts of leadership is seeing and encouraging potential. That was the very first time in my life that I felt seen and it changed everything for me. And, you know, I've often been asked if, you know, if I, you know, say, hey, what if he hadn't come on the bus that night? Do you think he would have figured it out? And that's not a real comfortable thought for me, Nick, because, you know, I had more reverse role models in my life than uh, I care to admit. And I was probably one or two bad choices away from going in a completely different direction in my life. And that moment just transformed not only how I viewed my story, but the impact that I could make on other kids who also felt socially invisible like, like I did. And, you know, that's become the invisible force that's driven me. And, uh, you know, you fast forward 15 years from that moment and I finally started my entrepreneurial journey after a couple of professional chapters. And, you know, that moment was raging like an inferno inside of me. Right? You know, I founded my, my company, Populous Group, on the core belief that everyone deserves an opportunity to succeed. You know, I'm a front row fan of the underdog. And that's my battle cry, all hail the underdog. And, um, you know, for 10, 11 years, I didn't tell that story. And when I finally did, it transformed everything for my company. And I often say that it is what became, began the transformation for my company becoming a community. And, you know, I finally reached out to him one summer afternoon and uh, probably about year 12 of me starting my company. And I called him up and I told him about that moment. And he remembered stepping on board the bus, but he had no idea it had that impact on me. And it was a real special moment. And a few days later, he calls, I mean, he sends me, he sends me an email, sends me a note and his note, he says to me, you know, Bobby, thank you for calling me. Thank you for telling me that story. You made me feel like my life had mattered. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. You know, here, this kind, wise man steps on board the bus and pays forward such a stoic example of leadership for me that completely transformed my life and gave me meaning. And he made, and he's telling me that he made me feel that I made him feel like his life had mattered. Um, super, super pivotal moment in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's funny. I think one of the biggest things that I got from, there's a number of things obviously that I got from that is it makes me, gives me the urge and the motivation much more to continually seek out opportunities to encourage others and make others feel seen because I feel a similar way about different people's and my life as well. But I think the thing about the second part of the story that you just shared that is a profound lesson that people can take and, and take action on moving forward is never skip out on the opportunity to express gratitude to somebody who's made an impact on your life. I mean, I was driving home for Thanksgiving last week and I'm somebody who said, who writes down three things that I'm thankful for every single day. So I'm not one of these people who only is thankful during Thanksgiving, but everybody is being thankful on Thanksgiving and I'm driving home and I'm 
you know, having deep thoughts as maybe one does on a long road trip. And I sent a voice message to my personal trainer who I had in high school, who was the person who asked me if I had ever had the interest in being a personal trainer in my life. And I was like, not really. But anyways, I, that moment, if that moment had not happened, I would not be a fitness trainer. And I expressed my gratitude towards that person and have, have done over the years, but it just made me feel really good. And I know it made him feel uh, really good as well. And so I think that's just a really important lesson is don't skip out on an opportunity to express gratitude to somebody who has really made you feel seen and encouraged you. Yeah. You, you never know the difference it's going to make. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a couple of thoughts that, uh, I think it's important to share based on, you know, what you, you know, just covered there, Nick, I, uh, you know, as I reflect back on that moment, there's many lessons that we can unpack and have real meaningful conversations around. But one of the most important ones for me is, uh, he demonstrated to me one of the most important, uh, impacts that we need to have as a leader. You know, we, we want to do good for others. We want to make an impact on them, but he showed me through his humility and through his wisdom that he wanted more for me than from me. And, you know, as Victor Frankel says in one of my favorite books, man, search for meaning. Yeah. He said part of, I think he ends the book with some paraphrasing a little bit right here, but you know, real meaning for us is helping others find meanings in their, in their life. And that's what he did for me. And for, for it to come back full circle after I reached out, uh, was what really makes that moment special for me. But then you fast forward, uh, about four years after I'd made that phone call, it's during the launch of my book. It's, you know, in, uh, 2019 and I'm having a large launch event in Detroit. And there was a very fortunate crowd that night and I didn't tell a soul, but I had reached out to him and his uh, beautiful wife, Nancy, and they agreed to come out for the launch event. And that day, my brother, Ed and I, we did something that I'd been waiting 33 years to do. We bought him a meal and it was a super special moment. Heck of a lot better meal than the cheeseburger he bought me. Uh, but man, it was, uh, just super special. And at the end of my storytelling engagement that night, uh, I brought him up on stage and there wasn't a dry in the place. He got a raving standing ovation. And, you know, when we hugged on stage, I whispered to him, I said, I wanted you to feel seen. So it was super, super cool moment. Yeah. That's great. That's great. You know, I, it's so apparent and so obvious how much of an impact that it's had on you even these many years later, because I feel like that's become who you are is you are just naturally have become the person who makes others feel seen and feel special. I mean, when we first hopped on this podcast, but you said to me, like it made me light up and, and, and smile. And that's just become the person that you are. And I feel like largely because of that story and, and because of him. But for now, I kind of want to, I want to transition into a little bit of kind of your background and growing your company. How long, how, how long ago did you say you started Populous Group? Uh, September 9th, 2002. So we just turned 20. 20 years. Wow. Happy 20th birthday. Yeah, thank you. That's Nick, awesome. we're, in, we're an overgrown junior in high school. We flunked at least three times those first few years. <laughs> you know, I call the first five years the most fun I never want to have again. You name the mistake, yes. I made it. 
Yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, and that's one of the coolest things about your book, right? Is you, every single chapter is essentially a mistake that you've made and the lessons that you learn and what you've done moving forward to ensure that that mistake doesn't happen again and, and that you actually can amplify the lesson that you learn into your company. And so I know there are a multitude of different mistakes that you guys have made and the, and the lessons that you've made, but I kind of really want to think about the mistakes from a culture standpoint. And this is a little bit of a selfish standpoint, but I think it's also really important for everybody else. Like if somebody is building a company or starting a family and they are really wanting to establish a healthy culture of both relationship amongst the team, but also relationship from the team to the leader or the kids to the parents? Like, What are some things that you had learned from the mistakes that you've made that can really allow a healthy culture to be established in the beginning? Well, I'm, re- I'm very happy to share uh, what I've learned there, Nick, because it's super important. And one, I'm very open about it. You know, Going back to the uh, point I made earlier, when I started my company, that bus story was raging like an inferno inside of me. And I didn't tell that story for over 10 years. Like that is like the knucklehead move of knucklehead moves for me in uh, building my community uh, for a couple of reasons. One is uh, absent of telling your community the story that drives you and the type of purpose that you're building your company around, right? I'm a student of my dear friend, Patrick Lencioni, and critical question number one is, hey, why do you exist? And that was why my company existed. But because I, haven't, I hadn't told that story, people would make up their own narrative, right? So to them, I was just some other intense entrepreneur. I mean, I think they knew in their heart that I cared for them and I wanted to build something special. And despite all the mistakes I was making, but I didn't tell them the story that was driving me that I wanted to build meaning around for kids and veterans. And then once I did, uh, I mean, it transformed everything. Like, here's a crazy fact, you know, often I'll get, you know, I'll be talking to a group of leaders, CEOs or entrepreneurs or whatever. And I tell them that story. And I also go on to show them, I say, Hey, for you naysayers that tend to be a little bit more, Uh, you know, driven literally on the economics. Let me point this out to you. When I shared that story, we were at about, we were 10 years in and about a hundred million ish in revenue. After I told that story, we grew 500 million in revenue in the same amount of time. Mm. So you tell me, did that matter? And that usually settles any arguments that may be swirling in their mind. Yeah. Uh, so not clearly telling the story that helped people understand why my organization exists is at the core of, you know, building culture, right? You got to build identity, you got to guide behavior and you got to, you know, speak a common language. And I hadn't built the identity that was important for the story I was narrating. And then secondly, around guiding behavior, uh, is, Hey, how do, how do we behave? Right. So I wasn't clearly communicating what it meant to be a great climber in my organization. That's my name for employees. Right. In other words, how do I expect you to behave? Mm -hmm. And 
you know, after I told that story, one of the things that I also did was I introduced our organizational culture code and the three pillars of our culture code in terms of how I expect everyone to behave are surrounded around three big pillars. And that is number one, we give more than we take. Number two, we speak from the heart. And number three, we go off the beaten path. Uh, and we have countless stories that support those core cultural values. Right, so, but Nick, That's prior awesome. to that point, yeah, I was all over the map doing my best. I didn't know how, and it took me a while to get to the point where I could help build that type of clarity that was needed that would in turn build a trust that was required to create something special. Mm -hmm. So you feel like it was, no matter what kind of team or organization or group that you're trying to rally and create culture and, and create trust in, everybody needs to know why they exist and where they're trying to go. No doubt. I mean, you need to, as a leader, you need to make sure that people have extreme clarity on, hey, why do we exist? And number two, how do we behave? Because absent mm. of that, people don't know the meaning. They don't know the force and, and really the heart of the organization. And then outside of the you know, clarity for how do we behave, you can't build the safety and the trust that you want to build. And let's you know, boil it down to its simplest form, right? The more trust you build, the faster you can do things and the less things cost. Right. right? The less trust, the more things cost and the slower they move. Right. Mm -hmm. So the amount of trust is, I mean, that's the single most important metric that I care about, always has been. And those two, clarity around those two, which build your the culture and the strength of your culture, your identity and guide and behavior. It's like, it's a game changer, right? You can still do it without that clarity. However, it's not going to be special. Right. Yeah, and people a, can feel that. No doubt. No doubt. There's the the book by Stephen M. R. Covey about that's called The Speed of Trust. And it's just so true. It's just Absolutely. so true. It just, it just, yeah. yeah. I, yep. No doubt. I, I definitely learned that from Stephen. He'd been a student of his work and couldn't agree more. We've uh, yeah. been fierce students of his work. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, I, I'm, again, a couple of like leadership things that I want to get to. The first one is I want to get about get to ask you about focus. And there's a lot of people who are listening to this who might not be leaders of organizations or leaders of teams and groups, but there are definitely go getters, right? You don't listen to the best you podcast unless you're somebody who is striving to get closer to the best version of yourself. And a lot of different people have different opportunities or different ideas or different things that they want to attack or goals in mind and they think of it as a badge of honor to be busy and attacking all of them at the same time. And there's a really great line in your book about how leaders feel like heroes when they say yes to more. While seeking that ego boost is natural, it's misguided. Leaders are required to make hard choices by assessing exactly when to say yes and no. Courage is knowing you can do more with less. And so give us a little bit of insight as to how a lot of us who are trying to take pride and doing X, Y, Z, A, B, D, F, M, trying to do all these different things. Give us some, guys, some motivation, but also practical knowledge as to how we can decide on which thing is the most appropriate for us in our current time and place. Hey, y'all, I just wanted to take a second to tell you about something I'm super excited about, and that is a healthy ice cream. You know, it's if you're anything like me, then you probably have a little bit of a sweet tooth. And if you're anything like me, after dinner, 
You just want a little bit of something before going to bed. And for me, I've always struggled with what that should look like. And I've gone in and out of having healthier options and unhealthy options and sometimes apples and Lara bars. But one of the things that I just recently discovered that I'm super excited about is Guardian Angel Desserts. And their ice cream is off the charts, y'all. I'm so excited about this. I was pretty skeptical of it in the beginning, but I'm super excited. Let me tell you about it. The reason you need to know about this dessert isn't because it's only ridiculously delicious, but it's actually healthy for you, your immune system. Guardian Angel Dessert Company took inspiration from regular good old ice cream and made a masterpiece that is blowing people's minds really for two reasons. One, the taste and the health benefits. They've literally removed all the normal toxic ingredients in ice cream and replaced them with healthy superfoods. I know it almost doesn't sound real, but I promise you their product is revolutionary for the dessert industry. It's keto, it's low carb, gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free, refined, sugar-free, which I had to, I had to sign off on before doing this partnership. And it's loaded with powerhouse ingredients like bone broth protein, probiotics, multi-collagen, MCT oil, and even vitamin C. Get this, they literally even used the splendid superfood spirulina to get the green coloring. Diabetics have been able to eat an entire pint of this product without seeing an increase in their glycemic index. This product is so new and in such high demand that they just opened online sales for a limited time only. So while supplies last, you can buy as many pints as you want online and have them shipped to your home or go to www.gadesserts.com and find the closest location to you. They all have a specific number of pints that they're offering for online online sales, so I really suggest that you get your hands on as many as you can, especially for such a novel product that improves your health and wellness. And if you want to get 10% off, then Georgia Desserts, Guardian Angel Desserts, their ice cream, they're offering 10% off to all of you guys for being best you, being, being a part of the best you community. So make sure you go to their website and type in best you for the coupon code to get 10% off your order. Again, use the coupon code best you at www.gadesserts.com to get 10% off of your order today. I'm super excited personally to have discovered this and I'm super excited for you as well. For now, let's get back to the show. You mind if we have a little fun with with this? Bring it on. You know, you know what I, I I'll often ask. You know, if I'm with a group of CEOs, what I'll I'll often ask them, "Hey, what does CEO stand for?" And they'll kind of look at me, tilted heads, knowing it's a trick question, and then I'm about to take them down a rabbit hole. And of course, they'll say, "Well, I mean, chief executive officer," but we have a feeling it you're taking us somewhere else. And I said, "Yeah, I am." What should it stand for? And I'll get some real creative answers. And where I guide them to, to, to land is CEO, the E and CEO should stand for two things. Number one, encouragement. And number two, editing. So you need to be a chief encouragement officer and a chief editing officer. So in other words, when you are guiding your team, when they get off the phone with you, do they feel encouraged? Do they feel like they can say, I have what it takes, I have the support I need, and Nick has my back? And then secondly, as far as the editing goes, you're responsible as their leader to make sure that you're consistently editing their world. And that takes courage. And that takes hard questions. And that takes that focus that's required 
to keep them in their lane. Because if you're building a, a, a special community, and I actually call that like I'm building a community that's full of givers and givers are horrible at saying no. And I've had to teach them over the years that no isn't a four letter word and that it's safe to say no. Right. However, as the leader, you have to be the one that initiates that by editing for them so that they can in turn edit for their teams. That's hard to do right? because people have this false narrative that the busier they are, the more important they are. Like, no, that's easy. Anybody can do that. Yeah. But to take things away and learn how to politely decline and politely say no, that takes bone marrow. Mm-hmm. That's real leadership there. So as a CEO, uh, chief encouragement editing officer, what are the questions that you're kind of navigating to determine what to edit or what to pursue and essentially what not to pursue? Well, before I can do that editing exercise, we have to be able to answer the single most important question in terms of our focus, like what's most important right now? And all of our actions and our behaviors have to be aligned around that. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking about something, I have to be like listening with a lot of intentionality if it's going away from what we've agreed is most important and be able to say, yo, whoa, 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 time out. That doesn't sound like it aligns with what we agreed was most important. What am I missing? What do you see that I don't? So I'll go into listening mode first before I make assumptions, right? And there have been times when they say, well, here's what, and I'm like, hey, great point, right? So, you know, that's where you have to have those conversations. But it starts with you having the courage to say, yo, yo, time out. Yeah, no, I think I think that's yeah, that's spot on. You have to know what's most important slash where you're trying to go because if you don't know where you're trying to go, then there's no reason to say no. That's what I try to. That's one of the things that I talk a lot about with your with fitness goals and, and just decisions in general. In general, if you don't know what your end goal is then everything that pops up is neither helpful or not helpful in route to the goal. And so you have no lens through which to say no. But if you have a vision, if you have uh, what is most important right now, then you can know what to say no to more clearly and more intentionally and more thoughtfully. Um, Nick, I had a, I had a, I had a, I had a uh, gentleman call me recently. And we've gotten to know each other over the years. Do, he's doing some great things on his entrepreneurial journey. And he gives me a call and he says, Hey, I want to run something by you. He, you know, he asked me a question about some, you know, tactical stuff that he has going on. And it was in this genre. And I said, well, Hey, help me understand one thing first. Like, what are you making progress towards? And I got radio silence at the other end of the line. Mm. And he goes, you know, he hemmed and hawed a little bit and he wanted to get back to it. And I said, no. So when you figure that out, call me back. And we'll talk about it. But until you can t- answer that question, I'm not going to waste my time over a bunch of rhetoric here because that's really all it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I think that's so good. You know, everybody who's listening who feels 
oh, who might feel overwhelmed because they're trying to do a million different things, ask yourself that question. What are you making progress towards right now? And if you don't have an answer, then you need to take some time to sit down and try to answer it. What are you trying to make progress towards right now? Because that'll allow the overwhelm to take shape and it'll allow you to negate the things out of your life that might need to be edited out. Yeah, and I'm speculating that you probably see very often in your in your world of good the uh, you know the 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 excuse I don't have time. Yeah. Well, you know that's a, that's a form of editing. Right? Of course, you don't have time. I don't have time. You create time. You create margin for what matters. Right? So, like, if it doesn't matter, then don't do it. You know? Yeah. It's like, you like if it really mattered to you, you would create the time. If you were waiting for it to be a function of you having time, well, then you're just going to die out of shape. Yeah, it's just the way the world works, and it's the same way in business. You create time for the things that are in line with what's most important. Yeah, and you, in order to create time, you must say no to those thieves of that time that are knocking on the door. Right, those thieves of happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, Bobby, we got a couple more questions left, and then I want to make sure you uh, get out of here on time so you can pick up your kids. And I say that because the first question is actually going to be about them. You know, before we hopped on and started recording, you told me how you're going to be coaching both your daughter and your son in basketball. And I'm fascinated by how leaders need to kind of intentionally, intentionally lead different people differently based on who they are, where they've come from, their personality, how maybe old they are. And so talk to us a little bit about what it's like differently to lead your team, lead your company, but then also coach your child's sports teams and and kind of what are the different things that you do differently because it's your kids and it's your kids' sports teams compared to if it's your employee. Hey, well, let's be real. I think it's easier to lead my company than to lead my kids. <laughs> and there's probably very few parents on the planet that will say that. Uh, but you know, you know, all kidding, kidding aside, I think the essence of it is, you know, I have a simple mantra when it comes to, you know, people that have extended trust to me to be their guide, be their leader per se. And that uh, the approach I've always taken is, hey, don't be anything until you know who you need to be. And so I will ask an insane amount of questions. Starting from the first time I meet them, I have a symbolic thing that I do when I'm going to select someone and it's a part of the selection process, not the hiring process because they're different, right? Uh, I symbolically, anytime I've ever gone into an interview or selecting someone from my community, I symbolically flip over the resume. I want to know all the stuff about their identity and what makes them who they are. Not the stuff on the resume, that's public information. I'm like, take me back to the beginning. Take me to chapter one. Take me to chapter two. Take me to chapter three. Tell me a story about your grandparents. Tell me what they believe. Tell me what they really, really worked really hard to teach you. That tells me whether or not we have shared beliefs. Mm. And once I, and you know, so like I do that with anyone that I, meet that I get an opportunity to either lead or coach, whether it be my kids, you know, like on the, I coach my kids football team and every opportunity I got, you know, I want to make these kids feel seen, but also, you know, 
just being super curious with them. I mean, I, I'm blessed. I'm a very curious person and uh, I ask an insane amount of questions. And so uh, I, I think that's at the heart of really being able to be a good situational leader is self-assessing. Hey, what's my question to statement ratio? Mm. And that's a real easy self-assessment that I would encourage leaders that will be listening or, you know, potential leaders um, to ask themselves, you know, Hey, after a conversation, what was your question to statement ratio at the end of the week? What was my question to statement ratio? You and I have both probably met people and you're a very curious guy too. I think you and I were peppering one another with questions when we met in Salt Lake city. Um, But we've all met that person that the whole conversation, they don't ask you a single question about you. And so I like, I, I, I never want to be that person. And I absolutely won't let my leaders be that person. Don't you dare be that person. Right? Nobody likes to work for that person. Nobody will trust that person because who's that person care about more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that is, that's so good. You know, I think curiosity is something that gets talked about, I guess, a decent amount by a lot of people about the importance of curiosity, but I really liked the question to statement ratio. And to me, seeing curiosity as a really important quality for situational leadership in that direct tie, I think is, is so, so critical because how can you know how to respond to somebody individually if you don't actually know their specific story. If you're only responding to them based on their role and you're only responding to them because they're one of your employees, then that's a very much a blanket response. If you can know them, and that's so cool that you flip the resume and get all their backstory and ask them really, really good intimate questions that allows you to know them at a deeper level, both so you can know their beliefs but also so you can know what drives and motivates them. I think that's absolutely critical so you can know what drives and motivates them as well. Uh, But before I get to the last question here, Bobby, I just want to acknowledge you for being the person now who has taken the shoes of the guy who came on the bus for you and your brother, and you have now become the person who makes other people feel seen. You have become the ultimate encourager yourself, both for you know, kids and and their teammates, but also the people in your company. I know it always hasn't been something that has necessarily come naturally easy. I know you're a very driven entrepreneur. And so there have been times throughout your career where you have maybe been more efficient with people rather than effective with people to go back to a Covey thing, Covey idea there, but you've done so much great work on yourself so that you do flip over the resume and you get down into the heart of the matter with your people and you really are curious so that you can be a great situational leader. And I know that's super inspiring for everybody listening and it's been super inspiring for me as well. Yeah, well, I appreciate the kind words. I, I've I've made a lot of mistakes around that. It's taken a lot of work. Uh, I've been imperfectly consistent, uh, learned a lot from you know other great people that have taught me and I, I really appreciate those kind words, man. Of course. Of course. You guys need to go get the book, The Gift of Struggle. Now, The Gift of Struggle, Life-Changing Lessons About Leading. As I said, I read it in one day on the way back from the plane. I think I needed a little bit more time, and so I've read some of it in the airport as well. But I read a ton. I've never read a book this quickly, and it's a it's a quick, easy read, and it's I re- love how it's formatted out as well by giving the struggle that you had, your learning lesson, and what you're what you're currently doing now moving forward from it. So you guys need to make sure you go get that as well. But last question here, Bobby, is that in order to get closer to the best version of yourself, 
Uh, I think it's a constant journey. I don't think we actually ever get to that best version. And I also think it's a unique journey um, for each of us individually. And so the last question is for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get closer to the best version of Bobby Herrera that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? That's going to be an easy answer for me, uh, Nick. I'm consistently asking myself three questions, and these aren't going to come as a surprise to you. Number one, who am I becoming? Number two, am I giving more than I'm taking? And number three, am I choosing my impact? Mm. And I self-assess those daily, weekly, monthly. Uh, that is, you know, those are the three guiding questions that uh, I'm narrating my story around. And above all, you know, is my you know commitment to my spiritual pillar, commitment to my health, commitment to my my kids. Above all, I want to be an all pro pro dad and. Uh, you know, learn from the mistakes and struggles along the way. So that's great. Those are three good questions. I need to make sure I need to regularly check in with those questions as well. I think they're very specific, but they're also en- encompass a lot of different things as well that, that keeps your brain um, on track and on the right path. But Bobby, that's all we got today. I know this is super inspiring for so many people. I appreciate your time. Well, hey, I appreciate the kind words about the book, Nick, too. I mean, I wrote the book for two reasons. One, to give. And I also wrote the book that I wish someone would have written for me. So mm. I was super grateful that you reached out and that it served you. And it was an honor to come back and connect with you. And God bless all the good you're doing and all hail the underdogs. <laughs> Amen to that. Appreciate it, Bobby. Thanks, man. What an inspiring interview with Bobby. I mean, when I say my life has been changed from reading his book, The Gift to Struggle, I mean, that is no exaggeration. Y'all make sure to go grab a copy today, like right now. If you're serious about wanting to change up your exercise and eating habits, like I said earlier, make sure that you go and schedule a free strategy call with me at nickcarrier.com slash free call. And we can develop a plan so that you can eradicate the frustration that you might be currently experiencing. And remember... Never skip out on an opportunity to express gratitude towards somebody who has made you feel seen. And remember to be the CEO in your world, the chief encouragement and editing officer. Encourage others and be the leader who wants more for them than from them. And narrow your focus to help decrease your overwhelm. Ask yourself, what am I trying to make progress towards and what am I trying to make progress on? And then say yes or no to things using that lens. Because if you can be the CEO, the chief encouragement and editing officer of your own life, then you'll continue to get closer and closer to your best you.